Hey, I have a question. Would you like to be happy? Well, honestly, that's a little surprising. It explains a lot, come to think of it. Uh, no, are you happy? It's 9.30 a.m., I realize, all right. We'll, we'll answer better closer to lunchtime, or especially during lunchtime. Would you like to be happy? That's, you're allowed to say that, okay? You're not answering wrong. <laughs> wow, we're a little scared. Um, this one might be a little bit scary, though. Careful how you answer this. In your head and heart, not with your mouth or elbows. How does your family, the family you wish that you had, contribute to your happiness? How did they contribute to your happiness at 7.30 this morning? Oh, uh, listen, we've been in this series talking about the uncommon family, the realities of family life. And having just engaged in those couple thought exercises, you're thinking about a specific aspect of family life that I think is real for all of us, and that's this. What if the family or the family that we wish we had contributes to unhappiness for us? What if we are unhappy at home, at our apartment, where we live, with the people that we live with? What if we're unhappy? We're going to go after that question today. And, and I want to get something maybe right off the bat. And again, remember, we're abbreviated, so I'm not going to say everything that I'd love to say, and I'm going to say some things faster than maybe they deserve to be said. But maybe just to get right in front of it here this morning, let's talk about what happiness is. Because happiness is not an object itself. Happiness is not a thing itself. It's the experience of some other object. It's the experience of some other thing. Right? Okay, like putting our thinking caps on this early in the morning, can we track with that? And, and to take it further then, if we make ab happiness an object, even if we make happiness an ultimate object, we will ultimately do anything to be happy. That's why it's important to kind of be aware of what happiness is. If we make happiness, the experience of happiness, into something that is not an ultimate object to desire, then we're going to do anything ultimately to get it, won't we? Whatever we ultimately want, we'll do anything to get to. We make decisions and sacrifices daily about, like, what I really want is coffee and a bagel or donut. But what my boss really wants for me to do is be on time. Hmm. And then you walk into the meeting five minutes late with a coffee and a donut, right? Like, you've made a decision We've made a choice based on what we ultimately wanted most, which was the coffee and the donut in that scenario. But what about in our families? What happens when happiness is an ultimate object for us to desire in our family? What, what does it look like when we do anything to be happy? Sometimes that looks like, I hate being single, so I'll settle on the person that I'm going to date. Like I'm going to swipe right on that guy. Swipe right on that girl. I'm going to accept that invitation. I'm going to flirt with them because I'm so tired of this. I'm, what I really want is to be happy, or my spouse doesn't satisfy me, so I should get a new one or improve this one somehow. I, my kids create so much turmoil. I, I should just let them 
do their own thing, go their own way. I, I'm going to just forsake my responsibilities here because they are giving me a headache or my life is so full of misery. I should end it. Or my God is not giving me what I need to be happy, so I'm going to reject him. When, when we make happiness an, op- an ultimate object to be desired, we'll do, I mean, we'll do anything in order to be happy. So often we make, on accident, on purpose, having a family, being in a family, or marriage, or having kids, raising kids, growing up as a kid, we, we make that about being happy. We make it an ultimate object. And consequently, we make being unhappy, or the chance to be a little bit happier still, a reason to bail or a signal that we're a failure, that our family's a failure, that it's not doing what it's supposed to do for me, which is chiefly make me happy. If we make happiness an ultimate object to be desired, I believe we, were, we will find ourselves far from God and far from happy. We make happiness an ultimate object to be desired itself, we'll find ourselves far from God and far from happy. So how can we be happy in our relationships, in our homes, and near to God at the same time? Is anyone interested? Well, let's start with the source of unhappiness. But before we do, maybe a few disclaimers. Disclaimers, because we're talking about unhappiness here, and I feel like Given our time limitations and my limitations as a human being, I, I want to be clear about a few things. A disclaimer about mental health, we're not really going to get into realities of depression today. And, and let me be clear, de- mental illness, mental health is a real thing that we as a church want to be able to celebrate people getting the help that they need biologically, physically, and we want to be a safe place for people to be real about that and to acknowledge that and to find the help that they need there. But I'm limited in what we can talk about today. So don't assume I'm talking about depression when I'm talking about unhappiness. And also, let's be real about abuse. Where our unhappiness is coming from, a source of abuse, illegal behavior, let's be clear. It's right to protect yourself, to report, and to allow governing parties, which God has set up, and it's God's idea that they exist, to uh, follow through with their legal processes. We're not going to those areas today. And let's be clear about the subject area itself, about my approach. I'm framing our conversation today more theologically than practically. I mean, we just had a a weekend where we spent a lot of time at our marriage seminar talking about a lot of the practical skill sets in order to make our marriage relationship something that have a chance to communicate well and to thrive and to be on the same page. And I'm thankful for those skill sets Those are very practical. Today we're talking very theologically about this subject. And if you want to go to some of the more kind of, not surface level, but like skills and abilities towards resolving some conflict and handling some things in our families, maybe going right back to the the authors of our conference this this last weekend would be a good thing. You could buy their book, uh, No More Perfect Marriages, and that's a great place to start. We're talking, though, theologically this morning more than practically. Although, disclaimer about that statement, 
I was encouraged by a brother this morning, reminding me that perhaps theologically is the most practical thing we could know in the first place, right? Thank you, Dave. It's a good word. All right, all of that out of the way, let's get to the source of our unhappiness. Our unhappiness in home may be from a healthy response, a right response to a fallen reality. So, hear what I'm saying? Our, our unhappiness might be a healthy response to fallen reality. You might be un, unhappy because you should be. From just after the beginning, sin entered the world through humanity's rebellion and death and sorrow through sin. And in this broken world, there are countless sorrows. It's emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy to respond to those realities around us in kind. Let's just acknowledge that. I think of Romans 12, weep with those who weep. There's times where sorrow and sadness is the right thing to do. I think about David Morning when his child was sick. I think about the book of Psalms filled with sadness and anguish. I think about the prophets and their unhappy cries for justice and peace and help and relief. I think about Ecclesiastes reminding us in chapter 5 that there's a time for everything. Lament and sorrow and conviction and anger. I mean, there are times where unhappiness is the right emotion to express and to feel. But... Unhappiness in our home may also be an evidence of sin. I don't have to talk too much about that. We're very well acquainted with that reality. Proverbs 14, though, says there's a way that seems right to man. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. That even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of a joy may be grief. When we sin... Or those in our family sin, even if it brings that initial joy, that initial thrill, if it brings happiness at a time. In sin, the result will always be unhappiness. One of my notes last weekend as Pastor Ganshaw was, was preaching was, was his thought that wherever we de- deviate from God's way, we invite destruction. Right? This is a reality. So, unhappiness may be coming from an area in your life of sin. And then also, another source, when your family is in a season or an area of unhappiness, it may be the result of ignoring God's purpose for your family in the first place. Another source for unhappiness is ignoring God's purpose. Because God has a purpose for relationships, for family. No matter what your family looks like, whether you're single or married or kids or no kids or still a kid in the room today, we're glad you're here. God has a design, a purpose for the way we all journey through our lives. If your family or the family you wish you had was designed in order to make you happy, let's be honest about it. It's a failed concept, isn't it? If your family or the family you wish you had was designed in order to make you happy, it didn't work. At least not well enough. And if your spouse or your kids are the exception to that rule, give them a hug today. And tell them you'll love them when it changes. If they were, though, if our families were instead designed to be good gifts through which we could see God and be made more like him... 
they're more successful than we'd like them to be. Both marriages and singleness testify to the gospel. Scripture tells us that marriage shows the relationship of the gospel. Marriage shows a relationship, the relationship that the gospel has for us, the church, God's people. It models the covenant promises, the covenant love that God has for us in Christ. But singleness also shows us the gospel. It shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. It shows us what points beyond marriage into eternity. Our identity with Jesus is enough because of what he's done. That's what we see in singleness. That's what we see in the life of Christ. That's what we see in the journey of singleness. Getting to walk knowing that in Christ we have enough. And if we get this purpose for our family wrong, we're constantly going to be unhappy in our families or in our waiting for the families that we wish we had. We'll be holding expectations and hopes over our families that they simply were not designed to be able to hold. When you try to use a thing the wrong way, you're usually disappointed in the outcome. Psalm 16 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. And God is the source of our good. God is the Source of happiness. In that sense, then, the most unhappy people are those who look for ultimate good apart from God. And maybe the most unhappy people are the people who know of God and know of some of his goodness, but still are looking to their families, their relationship, their stage of life for a source of happiness, too. In that sense, they got one foot in heaven. And the goodness of God. But they've got one foot in their family. And they're realizing that they're unhappy. They're hedging their bets. They may believe, they may even profess Jesus as their king, but they're hoping to make their family, their relationship, a kingdom too. Man, is that a recipe for an unhappy relationship. An unhappy home. That's not the purpose Man, our families can't hold that weight. Our friends can't hold that weight. Man, our families are good gifts, but they're designed to reveal God and refine us, not fulfill us. They are a source of unhappiness at times. These are some of the sources of unhappiness, and yes, that's not an exhausted list, but let's keep moving. Knowing the sources, or some of the sources of our unhappiness, what's the goal? What's the vision for what we want? For happiness in the first place. The vision is, I believe, take a breath here, because you might need it. I believe God wants you to be happy in him. God wants you to be happy in him. I'm going to step back for a second before you throw things. Can that be right? Depending on how you were raised or your relationship with God, you might be thinking, wait a second. Am I supposed to be happy? Am I even allowed to want that? Yes. In the right object, you are. We were designed with a thrill of being happy 
and designed to know that that source was God. If you don't feel comfortable right now, if your heresy meter is in panic mode, listen to me. Breathe for just a second. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at happiness in the Bible. And, and hold on. Usually, right, we camp out in one spot and teach right through it, but we're a little topical today, and I want to make sure every topical sermon here feels and is sourced and is true like um, a more expository sermon. I, I want them to taste the same. We'll be all through some passages here, but they're all tracking in a similar direction. Look at this. Psalm 32 says, Blessed, and don't mishear me, You're, we're going to talk in a second, that's a happy word here. It might feel like a spiritual word. That's a happy word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 10 then says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Unhappiness comes from sin, right? But steadfast love surrounds the one whose trust is in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, you upright of heart. Psalm 1, perhaps you have this memorized. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither, and everything he does, he prospers. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 68, the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. I mean, look at all those terms. Look at those words for happiness that ought to define the life of people who know God. You know, I think in our culture, in our Christian culture, biblical terms for happiness have been hijacked. Have been hijacked. Christians sometimes think that happiness is this fleeting emotion that you should never have for any reason. Because if you're happy, you're probably sinning. Some artificially different words Perhaps like blessedness or joy is allowed in your life. But these emotions are very somber. They're barely hanging on. They've got this distant feeling in mind. Some would argue that, un, that being happy is too unspiritual for Christians. It's too fleshly an emotion for God to want us to have it. But I don't think that is the tent, intent of Scripture. And I don't believe Scripture shows us that that is God's desire for himself or for us either. Those who have studied these terms for happiness in the Bible, blessed and joy, the Hebrew terms, especially Asher and the Greek term makarios, among others, these words all convey happiness, the emotion of happiness in various degrees and in various intensities. The bottom line is this. God didn't think in his word that one word was big enough and that we needed them all. I think that tells us something about how our lives were intended to be too. That joy and happiness and pleasure and delight and blessedness and cheer and gladness ought to prevail. Because God uses these words. God uses these emotions. God has these emotions. We're intended to, uh, as humanity, to know them. 
I think one of the layered conclusions of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, as he's thinking for, like, what is the meaning of life? And one of the things he arrives at is this. I perceived, Ecclesiastes 3, there's nothing better for them than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live. That everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. He concludes further things than this, but this is wrapped up in the package. The prophet Isaiah And foreseeing the gospel, our way of salvation, thinks that it's a happiness. It's a happiness, not just just a holiness. He says this in Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I mean, you, you start stacking all these stories up and you look at the teachings of Jesus, looking all the ways he says, the good life belongs to, happy is the one who, blessed is the one who, you see that God wants us to be happy in him. We can think of it this way, it's ultimate happiness in God. Ultimate happiness in God. Remember, happiness isn't an object itself to be desired, it's the experience of some other object. And so, ultimate happiness then, ultimate happiness is the experience of the ultimate object, God. Ultimate happiness is the experience of God. It's knowing God. It's being right with God. It's seeing that God is more good and more wonderful and more awesome than we had dared to hope before. It's loving him chiefly and seeing that he's good. It's experiencing God who we experience through Christ. In that sense, it's good to desire to be happy. Just not a weak, feeble desire that could be satisfied in something else. It's good to be desired to be happy when we know that ultimate happiness is experiencing God himself. When we know that, chiefly because we've been rescued by putting our faith as we repent of our sins in Jesus who died in our place for our sins, and when we are right with God and we begin to know God through his rescue of us, it's good to desire to know him more, which is synonymous with saying it's good to desire to be happy. See, on the flip side, at the core of our problem with unhappiness and our relationships and our family, it's that our desire for happiness in all of those relationships, it's too weak. It's too weak. We, we are too unwilling to be happy. It's too small a vision for happiness. It's fixed or oriented towards lesser things. All of Scripture bears witness that only in God is fullness of joy and pleasure forever. That apart from him, nothing is worth desiring. Nothing will bring satisfaction on earth. And that only in God will our restless, happiness-seeking souls find rest. Only in infinite God, can we find our infinite longing for happiness and fill it? And I know, I know there's a saying that that goes that God cares more about our holiness than our happiness. And maybe even specifically for relationships that God created marriage not for our happiness, but for our holiness. And, and there's truth there, and I'm splitting words. But I think it's important that we have a robust understanding, ultimately, of what is right here. As I grow in my understanding and awareness of God's word, 
Honestly, I did this week as I was looking into this. I'm seeing more and more that those distinctions miss the mark. That holiness and happiness are not separate categories from each other. That happiness and holiness are mutually inclusive. Holiness is our happiness. And vice versa. Happiness is our holiness. That we can't find true happiness without being more like God. And we aren't going to grow in holiness where we aren't growing in happiness in God. Where we aren't increasingly satisfied in him, delighted in him, fulfilled in him. One theologian put it this way. Holiness is the condition of the heart in which God is our greatest happiness. Have you thought about your relationship in life in those terms? Ultimate happiness is the experience of the ultimate object, God. And so God wants us to be happy ultimately to the greatest degree, which is in him. So what do we do in our homes with our relationships and children? Are we allowed to hope for happiness there? Or is this somehow divorced from life? I think it's not. I think when we are happiest in God, we can enjoy his gifts. When we are happiest in God, we can enjoy his gifts. Your marriage, your roles, your siblings, your parents, your children, these are good gifts from God. When we identify, and when our identity, rather, is in Christ through the gospel, not in the family that we have or wish we had, which is another way of saying that we're happy in God, when then we're freed from being in unhappy slavery to asking our homes and our families and our relationships to fulfill us when they never would be able to, then we're able to enjoy happiness in our homes. It's when we're happiest in God that we're then free and alive and able to finally see that our homes can be happy places too. It's what empowers us to be able to offer forgiveness and grace and kindness and gentleness and patience and love as the fruits of the Spirit take part in our life because we've been made alive in God to be happy in Him. We can enjoy the giver through the gifts. After everything we've said, you might think, wait a second. I've been hearing that we should be seeking the giver, not the gifts like I... I feel like you're saying something different now. Maybe think about it this way. If my wife, Ashton, said, let's go on a date, or I got this thing for you. Let's go on this vacation. What if I said, Ashton, I love you. Therefore, I will not love these things that you gave me, and I will not love spending this time with you, and I am not going to enjoy this vacation with you because I love you. Would that be a logical, healthy, ordered way to express my love of her chiefly? No. If that was news to you in your marriage, we should talk after this. I, I should not love the gifts she gives me or the time she invests in spending with me more than her. No, but by enjoying the things she does or gives, I am enjoying her. We can enjoy the giver, ultimately God, through the gifts. We can be happy in God, the giver, in the gift of family relationships. We can and absolutely should delight in our families, our 
We should work hard at cultivating happiness in the home where it isn't coming naturally, ultimately because it gives us an avenue to become more happy in God. And what about those unhappy realities? How do we find happiness in God if our marriage or our family are desperately unhappy? When we get to that point and those points are real and I acknowledge those hurts, I also just want to add something here from a pastoral perspective. We should examine ourselves at this moment because it's easy to play Christianity when you're still worshiping happiness. It's just so easy to play Christianity when you're still worshiping happiness. You think, no way, listen, I want a happy family, sure. I want safe kids and, and a good life, sure. But I turn to Jesus for those things. Like I, I still worship God. But there's no change in your soul, no change in your ultimate craving and what makes you most deeply happy. And we have to be honest about the fact that that's not Christianity. That's not new birth. Being alive in Christ is not living for all the same desires we had before we knew Jesus, but now trying to get those desires answered from this new person, God. No, what makes a genuine believer happy is not ultimately that they have good gifts to enjoy in life, even the gifts of marriages or children or friendships. What makes the genuine believer happy is that they have God in Christ. That's what makes a born-again person glad at its core. Not that they have God's gifts, but they have God. So how do we live out that happiness in God while working to cultivate healthy families? I'll, I'll wrap with this verse and thoughts out of it. In Romans chapter 12, we see it say, If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably at all, with all. If it's possible, as it depends on you, controlling the things that you have control over, right? Like yourself, live peaceably. I think that's a good connection point for this opportunity to cultivate happiness and joy and peace and kindness in our families. First, we see that we need to have rightly ordered emotions. In the areas that we can control and Areas as it depends on you, we ought to rightly order our emotions. Because our feelings are signals. Our feelings are real. Our emotions tell us what we feel, even if those feelings aren't grounded in reality. Unhappiness in you, yourself, or your family is a warning sign. that Somewhere in your soul, likely you're looking for ultimate fulfillment in something other than God. But we must insist time and time again that our emotions align to reality. We should order them after truth. Truth, then emotion. We're transformed, right, by the renewing of our minds, by the testing then that we may discern what's the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. In line with the Spirit, through the Word of God, we order our feelings under truth. Knowing that feelings change. They will mislead and at times misdirect and be influenced by a litany of nature and nurture impulses. They can be twisted by sins we're not even aware of yet. Sometimes they warn us of what's right. Sometimes they distract us by what's wrong. 
So at the end of the day, don't blindly obey your feelings. Let the truth, especially the truth revealed in God's word, shape what you feel, transform you, and help you to discern how you should engage emotions. In that sense, we don't let the tail wag the dog. Since that's something we can influence to cultivate peaceful happiness in our families, we rightly order our emotions under the reality, chiefly under the reality of our ultimate God, that he has ultimately done what we need to know him. And having repented of our sins and trusted in him, we are made new and we can find our ultimate joy and even the life after this life and even in this life now and the comfort of knowing him and being known by him. And that changes the way we walk through the trials and the hardships in our lives. So far as it depends on you, but I know there are areas where it doesn't depend on you. Where it's not under your control, the source of happiness, of sadness is somewhere else. And in those moments, we can have rightly oriented emotions. Rightly oriented emotions. Where we can't control the culture, where the other ones are causing the sadness, we orient our emotions back towards their right object, to our ultimate God. Because... I mean, unhappiness happens in our families. And unhappiness in the home is many things. But, just perhaps, chief among those many things is an invitation to find ultimate happiness sooner and faster than you otherwise could have. Unhappiness is an invitation to find ultimate happiness sooner and faster than you otherwise would have. So when we've rightly oriented our emotions, we can always find a way to happiness in God, even when our homes or lives get in the way. That's how we can rejoice in all circumstances, as we're called to. Because we're all uncommon families. We are all unhappy families without Christ. When our lives are not all about Him. In those moments, we are always unhappy, uncommon families. We all justly earn an unhappy eternity, unless by faith we're saved. But then, alive in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is, among others, joy. Joy, kara, the experience of gladness, great happiness. So from a big picture, biblical perspective, I want us to know this, Bethel Church, Hobart Portage. God wants us to be happy in him because he is for us. He is good to us, and he knows that anything short of him would leave us unhappy forever because he is the greatest thing in reality. So, Let's be happy in him. Let's allow our happiness in him to drive and allow us to survive through the experiences of day-to-day -day life in our families.